Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Enlightenment with your host, me, Oakley Ogden. On this show, I take great responsibility to have a diverse range of clients, cisgender, LGBTQ, BIPOC, all between the ages of 18 to 26. However, the only thing you will hear is what they choose to share about what they're going through in life and how they are navigating their interior world. You'll get insights into the tools and perspectives I have offered my clients for almost 20 years, and you'll get to hear these individuals work through their own stuff using these tools. I've made all the sessions anonymous to protect privacy, which means that you, dear listener, won't get information about skin tone, ethnicity, or sexual identity unless the client shares this information, and in some cases, you might not even be able to tell what gender is speaking. So you're invited to simply listen, to feel what resonates, how you connect with this person, what comes up for you as you listen, and how ultimately we are all connected and not alone in this journey of life. Today, we have a very special episode in which my client shares her journey through debilitating depression and anxiety and how the monitored use of ketamine may have saved her life or at the very least, months and years of her time. Join us to learn some of the ins and outs of this treatment, its effects, proper use, and how most of us, including myself, are still learning about this drug. In this session, my client shares incredible insights into panic attacks, the use of antidepressants, and what these treatments really taught her about what's possible in her life and how they gave her a chance to step out of being a slave to her anxiety and learn to work with it to create the life she is proud of. So let's dive in together. I am very excited to talk to you about our topic today, which is ketamine ketamine treatments. Ketamine treatments. It's so trendy. Um, It's up and coming. And um, I think that you have a lot of wisdom to share around it. So let's kick it off together here. Um, How long have you been doing ketamine treatments? That's a good question. Um, I want to say about two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, It started off more frequent and now I'm at a point where it's a once a month maintenance dose is what they call it just to kind of maintain the drug in your system but not so much the therapeutic part of it anymore mm-hmm. so let's start from the very beginning um how did it start when did it start what do you use it for and why did you get in into it okay so I was in college and not doing so hot in the mental health area. What was happening for you? Yeah, what was happening for you? I was going through a pretty major depressive, I wouldn't even call it an episode because it lasted for so long. It was more like a state uh, where I'd, I don't know, I'd sleep for 19 hours straight and only during the daytime and everything was all sorts of messed up 
quick note here, the difference between an episode and a state. An episode has a beginning, a middle, and an end that can be defined within a certain period of time, a couple days or a few weeks, but not much longer than that. After that, we're entering something called a state. A state is something that becomes sort of relatively, you can say, constant. So that's what my client is talking about here. At the time, I had been seeing already a uh, integrative physician who looks at different alternative treatment. She was doing blood work on me to see what my levels were, to see if we could, you know, kind of optimize my body and see if that helped. Uh, we did genetic testing to see what kind of uh, antidepressant would work best for my body. And we got that sorted, and still nothing was better. And so, my mom actually was the catalyst for it. She had looked into this treatment before. It had popped up a couple times. And so she decided to let me know about it and just bring it up to my physician and see what happens, see what she says. And <laughs> as luck would have it, she had just started offering that treatment for inpatients. Um, it's not something that she would she was advertising for just any patient to walk in and start that treatment. It was only for patients she already had that weren't making progress. And she'd only done it with, I think, one or two other patients before me. So I was one of the first people to do it with uh, my doctor. So this is a really important point. Ketamine is most effective for individuals who are not making progress uh, with their antidepressants. That was my experience. Yep. Um, I've always used it in conjunction with my antidepressants and whatever else I might be taking at the time. But you were in a state that, you know, sleeping for 19 hours, not able to get out of bed, still on your antidepressants, still going to a therapist, doing all this blood work, and the, there was like a stagnation space that you were in. Yeah. It felt like there okay. was just no progress made for months on end. Uh, yep. it, it's, it stayed like that for probably, a, I'd say probably a good year almost before I started doing the ketamine treatments. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So your mom, who is a professional therapist. Yeah, she doesn't right? do. Uh, she's a uh, school psychologist. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So she has her uh, specialist degree in school psychology and she works in the, the public school system, uh, helping mostly elementary school age kids. Uh, but she's, she's a, yeah, she's always been in the wellness sphere. She was a jazzercise instructor. She was a personal trainer. She's done ropes yeah. course training with children. I mean, she's done all of it. Uh, so yeah. she's always been in the loop, so to speak, with this kind of stuff, which helped out a lot. Yeah. She's a, she's like a MacGyver of, of mental health and wellness. Like she's always figuring out the next thing and cracking codes yeah, and um, research. Amazing researcher. <laughs> she's a researcher. Oh my God. Um, she's a crazy amazing. researcher. Well, and she had to be because when you started ketamine, there wasn't a buzz about it quite yet. It was no. just starting, just starting in the corners of mental health. Yeah. yeah, and there was really only anecdotal evidence at this point, too. Nobody had really completed any small or otherwise studies mm -hmm. on the treatment of this. 
What is anecdotal evidence? Anecdotal evidence is information gathered from observation. Anecdotal evidence is not considered scientifically valid. So you can't base anything. Anecdotal evidence is just, oh, I've seen it do this, I've seen it do that. So that's where we were when the ketamine started for this client. We were inside anecdotal evidence. Nothing yet had been scientifically proven. It was a bit of a mystery and quite a drastic step at the time. Very much so. And and a little bit of an experimental risk that given your state, your mom and your doctor were shook hands on and were willing to um, move forward with. And you too. I know you were you were very compliant as well. If we're defining compliancy right now, we're talking about the willingness of my client. So she was absolutely willing to try this next treatment out, but she had already been through so much, she wasn't leaping for joy. That's what we mean by compliancy here. Yeah, compliant would be the right word to use in that as well, because I remember at that time, um, it never really occurred to me how drastic the step was. It was just another thing we were going to try. You know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd tried so many stuff already. I'd been poked and prodded. I'd changed medication so many times. And it just, I just didn't really care. Um, mm. It just didn't really matter. I was just like, all right, just uh, hook me up, pump it in me, and whatever happens, happens, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. I think I think a lot of people can relate to that. A lot of people can relate to that moment in their mental health journey where they're like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm so disconnected from my life force and, you know, in the state I'm in and have tried so many things, like just another just another breakthrough experiment or just another experiment, right? <laughs> yeah. So you didn't know it was going to be breakthrough. Was, no, I didn't You didn't know. know. You didn't know. Okay, this is why this gets so exciting. So let me give yeah. an intro here on ketamine, okay? So yep. ketamine is a dissociative drug, right? And what that means is that when you take it, you get disconnected from reality of a hard time moving your limbs and your body. And you begin to sort of dissociate. That means sort of leave your current lens of reality. Some people float above it. Other people check out in a different kind of way. But it's it has the feeling not of necessarily being psychedelic, but of, of uh, strengthening your observer. However, there's not a lot if you see something happening that you can do because your body is slightly immobilized. Ketamine can indeed produce hallucinogenic states, much like LSD and PCP. However, it is a dissociative anesthetic that has been used in surgery. In psychotherapy, it's used in small doses under strict supervision, and the effects of the dissociative state is what is helping us the most in sessions, as this experience is induced by affecting the brain in a really particular way that is not damaging as far as we know at this level. And this is what seems to be supporting clients therapeutically. So on the street, this drug has a couple names, more than I'm going to name today. But it's the date rape drug, also called Special K. We hear people talking about K-holes, the space they go into by taking too much of this stuff unsupervised in an abusive way or a party drug way. 
And as one can imagine, when dosed with this drug at a party, the effects leave individuals in a really highly, highly vulnerable state where they cannot respond or protect themselves from perpetrators. So it's a big deal. And if you're listening to this now and anything like this has happened to you, I really encourage you to report this to the police or call a national sexual assault hotline, which is 1-800-656-4673. Got it? Okay, let's get back. Does that sort of introduce it well enough? Yeah, and it's even more so with the, the disassociative part uh, physically too, I stop feeling my body entirely. I'm not even really aware that it's there. If I pay attention mm-hmm. to it, obviously I can notice it, but everything feels different. And if I don't focus on my body, it just kind of fizzles away in my vision and okay. in my uh, senses. Okay. So you are driven to this clinic near, near where you are living with your physician, integrative physician, and what happens? Um, Well, the next step, uh, she told me that what she, since this was all new, nobody really knew the actual answer, but she believed that best practice would be to have a guide or ideally a personal therapist in the room with you there doing the treatment alongside you, uh, not only for the ability to do therapy while under the influence of this drug, but also as kind of a safeguard because there, there's it can be rough. Um, you can experience things. That, I never experienced anything that was scary but it will show you some emotions you might not be ready to face at that moment. And it can kind of sneak up on you because time moves very differently as well. So how did you administer, how was this drug administered to you? I did it through IV infusion, which Okay, so a needle in the vein. In the, yep. It's kind of the most direct and also the most intense way to do it. They didn't have a ton of options when I first started. Now they've got nasal sprays and lozenges and all sorts of fun stuff that you can try um, that have a less intense effect. But I went full in and did the the IV. Now, just for our listener right now... um, this is not an injection like a shot. This is an IV, which means that the medicine is in a bag mixed with different liquid like saline or something, and that it goes down a long tube and you have a little needle in your vein um, taped down gently to your arm. And this is one of the most highly regulated ways to uh, receive ketamine because you can slow the drip, stop the drip, and um, it can move through the system very quickly and you can come back to your body and back to normal if, if there's an emergency. So, okay, so we have you hooked up to an IV and you're in a room. What did the, like, give, give the listener a sense of um, the environment you were in. So my 
integrated physician at the time had a nice little back room kind of put together like a lounge. There was a nice big couch that you could lay on or sit on. And, you know, uh, actually a lot like a, <laughs> like a therapist's office, you know, and then, you know, an armchair for somebody to accompany you. And then, you know, a few medical things here and there. Uh, but it didn't look like a medical office. It felt very much like either a therapist's office or like a small lounge room. So it was a very warm, comfortable place. Um, I usually was covered with multiple blankets and, you know, keep me nice and warm. And I was also instructed to bring uh, any sort of comfort objects that I might have to ground myself if something were to send me on a weird path. So if you're not picking up on it yet, my client is describing a very safe, comfortable, cozy environment. The more variables we take out, the simpler it is, the quieter it is, the more comfortable it is, the more likely we give the client a chance to do his, her, or their deeper work. So feeling safe is what we are emphasizing here. When our body temperature is regulated, our environment is regulated, we are more likely to drop in. Let's jump back in. That was about it for the room. It was pretty basic. There wasn't a ton of stuff on the walls, which is a good thing. <laughs> uh, the more, yeah, I've learned, the more stuff. You'll share more about why. Oh, yeah. The more stuff <laughs> on the walls, the, the more interesting it is for sure. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, it was just a nice room. We'd often play some soothing music. And yeah, music's another one that I, I want to talk about because I, I found personally that to be a major influencer on the experience that I had. Okay, so the mic is yours. Um, why don't you lead us through what is most important for you to share? I think one of the most interesting things and most helpful things was one that I had a guide who knew me very, very well at that point, um, mm -hmm. who I may be speaking to uh, <laughs> right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yep. that, that was really helpful because having somebody in the room that really knows you they can draw mm -hmm. connections from things that you might be experiencing while under the drug that you can't personally do. And it, it messes with your memory and your sense of time. So you kind of lose all sense of time and your memory is very fuzzy. You'll, your brain will move from one thing to the next really fast. You'll have no idea what you were thinking about a second ago. So having somebody there taking notes, paying attention, being able to remind you or take you back on a path that was good uh, was, I think, a necessity um, if you're trying to do a therapeutic version of this treatment, which I still mm -hmm. feel is best practice. I would agree with you. Um, and yeah, if you didn't catch that, um, I was very blessed to be the guide in this scenario. So it's important that there's trust between the guide and the journeyer um, and that you have a doctor that you really, really love. Now, there are 
therapists now and coaches and such that are administering ketamine. So you have to use your discretion um, and ask how it's gone for other people, what their practices are. Um, that's That's a really big discussion right now. So we had a doctor, we had a licensed practitioner, and we had a lot of trust in the room. So here we go. So it so this ketamine um, drug gets administered, and what starts to happen for you? The first thing I noticed every single time was a loud buzzing noise. Um, it, it I found out later it was the uh, it was the AC in the room, but it's what my brain decided to focus on every single time. Uh, and, and I think this is also important info. I would do a push at the beginning of my treatments. So while my client is telling us that it's a direct push into the vein, she has a catheter in the vein already that has a special device at the end in which we can hook up the IV bag and unhook the IV bag. Uh, This is a safety mechanism. So if we needed to unhook the IV bag and give her something else uh, in case uh, things went sideways, that's what that's for. And we see that in hospitals all the time, that IV bag drip. So in this scenario, the push was a syringe of high dose ketamine, but that went into that little catheter, not directly into her vein, just to clarify. That was over trial and error. We didn't do that the first session, but we discovered that my body metabolizes very, very quickly, (laughs) a little too quickly. So the only way to actually really push my body into this disassociative state was to give me this real big kind of slap. uh, And then I would kind of emerge in the place that I was supposed to be. And it's it's not that uh, aggressive or dramatic, but it is quite an intense feeling. So it starts with the buzzing in my ear, and that gets kind of louder until I just kind of forget about it. And then a lot of times during the push, that's when you would get the most, or I would get the most hallucinogenic effect of it. The rest of it was kind of coasting just above that deep level. But a lot of my really fascinating experiences were in that really, really deep level. Usually I didn't even speak or make any sort of communication. I just kind of sat there. I think it lasted around 15 to 20 minutes. That's about how long it would take for my body to to go through the metabolizing. And then, you know, the drip would be sustaining me from there on out. So... The other thing is I always, because I did say that you normally, you don't really feel your body, but there were times where it would feel like I was kind of being pulled and twisted, not in an uncomfortable way. Uh, it's very hard to describe the feeling because it's it's not something you really experience in everyday life, but sometimes it would feel like there's a little wave moving slowly underneath my body and then other times it would be directed by what I was seeing in my 
hallucinogenic part of it where I would be kind of sucked from one place to another and I would get a physical feeling from that as well which was really fascinating and a little nerve-wracking at first but it just there was this freedom to it because one of my main problems and what I to this day think is where my severe depression stemmed from was my anxiety issues. I've been in therapy and been dealing with severe anxiety since seventh grade. I missed so much school, my parents got a warning truancy letter and it was all due to panic attacks. So that's something I've been working on for a very, very long time. And it was so relieving to be pulled out of that anxious body and to just kind of take a breath because you're not connected to it. And, and that, that was even more dramatic than, than the depressive part of it that just makes you kind of feel down and not really care about anything. That, that was less impactful than the breath of fresh air that it would give me. So one thing that you're alluding to right now is that dissociative state. Now, under a supervision and in a safe environment, this dissociative state can give the brain a moment of release to actually begin to create a new neural pathway and start to let go of the grip of the pathway of anxiety, right? So it's not, it doesn't heal anxiety, but it's a moment of reprieve in which the brain, if you think about it this way, think about a muscle that's been so, so tense and it just never has relaxed. And then you find a posture or, um, you know, an ointment or something like that that suddenly has the muscle relax. Ah, uh, once that muscle relaxed, the joint understands that it can move differently. The muscle understands that it's allowed to relax. Um, there's a, a lot of information that can go into the brain, again, under supervision because I was able to support this process. Um, and the brain got that, oh, it's okay to actually relax and it's actually safe if I exhale a tiny bit, metaphorically speaking. Um, so you got this sort of moment of reprieve where maybe you were floating above the old anxiety and could look down at it. And what are some of the experiences uh, that you want to share? Well, on that same topic, I think a really interesting and important one was I did have a couple panic attacks while under the drug. Um, uh-huh. That's true. And there was a very, very interesting one. There was a time where I, my body was having a panic attack, all the normal stuff, you know, and my brain was completely clear, which for me is tends to be kind of normal. I, I tend to naturally disassociate when I have a panic attack. However, this time around, I was actually able to talk. 
and actually it like connects the two. Usually when I'm in that disassociative state during a panic attack, I have no control over my body whatsoever. I my brain is kind of thinking in another world and it's fine and everything's all good and my body's just losing its shit. So <laughs> this time around I knew my body was having the panic attack, but I was in my headspace instead. That's so well said. The physiology was having the chemical reaction of a panic attack. However, your mental state did not sync up with the panic attack. Your mental state stayed calm and clear. So tell us what you saw in that space or what you learned. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely the first time I ever really experienced personally a panic attack. That might sound weird, but, you know, when you disassociate like that, you don't really know what's going on. Your your brain kind of blocks it out when you come back to your body. But this was different. I was able to speak coherently and normally. The only thing inhibiting my voice was the physical symptoms of the panic attack. But usually I can't even talk or express myself at all. So being able to kind of experience the full wave of a panic attack without actually freaking out, so to speak, it kind of taught me how it moves through my body, how kind of the energy moves through me, and that it'll pass as well. I mean, I'm still so touched and blown away by this moment you had. Yeah. This was a life-changing experience, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'd say so. And I've had much stronger control over my anxiety since then because I have a better understanding of how it works physically within my body because I've never been able to experience the physical side of it. It gave you perspective and distance and you were able to witness it knowing that it it will move through your body and it will pass. The witness. What is the witness? The witness is something we talk about in meditation quite often. It's the part of ourselves that is able to observe what is going on inside of us. Meaning it's the part of ourselves that sits back and says, right now I'm feeling sad. Right now, I notice that I'm cold. Right now, I'm having the thought that I want to get out of here. Right now, I'm having the thought that I'm judging this person, etc., etc. The witness is the thing, the part of ourselves that we strengthen, that we seek to strengthen in meditation, that we want to identify more with so that we identify less with our passing thoughts and our passing feelings. The more we can witness ourselves, the more space we have for ourselves, the more space and room we have for the movement of our thoughts and feelings, the ever-changing tides of our thoughts and feelings that are continually shifting through us. Another way to strengthen the witness is through meditation. 
Transcendental Meditation teaches this very beautifully. A lot of different meditations teach this really beautifully. And if you are interested in learning more meditations, you can check out some of mine, which are very highly guided on my website, oakleyogden.com, under resources. But what I also recommend is Insight Timer. Insight Timer is awesome. And there are some extraordinary teachers on there that teach how to strengthen the witness in a very methodical step-by-step way. So I suggest you head over there, spend some time getting to know different teachers, see who resonates with you, and strengthening the witness within can really, really change our lives. It gives us so much perspective and gives us the ability to be compassionate with ourselves and patient with ourselves. The witness can also be called the observer. There are a lot of different names, but in this case, my client is strengthening her observer, her witness through this experience. So have you had a panic attack since? I have. Yeah. And how are they different? Um, well, <laughs> it just uh, a couple months ago, I, I had a panic attack before work. Um, it was one of those situations where we were understaffed and uh, it's restaurant work, so being understaffed is not fun. And I was supposed to be the only one working an entire room by myself. It just overwhelmed me, and I was getting frustration from coworkers that I didn't get somebody else a shift covered, and it just kind of threw me into this freakout and. This was probably 45 minutes before work. So I called my parents, as I tend to do, because they're lovely. And they kind of kind of talked me through it. But one, it didn't last as long. And two, normally when I would have a panic attack, it put me down for the day. I couldn't do anything else. I just had to rest and maybe sleep. It just, I couldn't function after one until the next day or sometimes even a little longer after that. Hey, raise your hand if you resonate with this or you've ever had this experience. If you have, listen closely to what's coming next. It's pretty remarkable. This time around, I kind of pulled myself together and I just kind of kept moving my body through the motions to get to work with the expectation that my body will calm down. It will. Hmm. And I remember a moment when I was sitting in my car in the parking lot at work and I was still very much freaking out inside a little bit. And I I had a moment where I wanted to call my parents to bail me out, essentially. It's a family business. And if, you know, I can't work, um, sometimes my father will come in and help out. I knew that they would do that for me. But then I realized that that's not actually what I wanted. That was the 
anxiety brain talking, trying to escape the danger. And I had a moment where I went, no, I want to go to work. And so I (laughs) got out of the car, threw some sunglasses on to hide my eyes and walked in and worked that entire shift by myself. And it sucked. It it was not a good experience. It was not fun. I'm not going to lie about that. But I'm still so immensely proud of my ability to even achieve that. Because in the past, that would have never been even conceivable. Even thinking about doing that would have given me another panic attack. (laughs) So it's... it's, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just definitely changed the way that I move through panic attacks. Before, the mentality was about stopping it. And now the mentality is moving through it. That is so different. And it speaks to the amount of resiliency you have built through these very intentional experiences with ketamine and the capacity that you have grown inside of yourself. And that is when we know something that we are trying for our mental health is working, if we have more resilience and greater capacity. Because what I hear in this that I'm just incredibly moved by is how much of life you couldn't participate in, how much of life you would be taken out of participating in or taken away from participating in because of the recovery process after a panic attack, which must have affected self-esteem, must have made you think things. And here you are breathing through it, making a choice that you want to go to work that feels true to you, that is not your anxiety brain stealing the show, And you got to show up inside the immense strength and presence and contribution that you know is you and your birthright. Um, And I just can't even imagine how rewarding that must have felt. Even though the experience sucked, you did it. And sometimes growth experiences suck, but it's not about whether or not we're having fun at work. It's the fact that we have shown the fuck up, right? Despite the odds, right? And that grows confidence. That's one way to grow confidence in a major, major way. I'm going to reiterate this right now. So many people come to me asking how to build confidence. This is how you do it. You begin to grow your capacity and your resilience, capacity to hold your own discomfort and resilience to take another step forward toward what is right for you, for your maturity and growth, despite the discomfort, despite the discomfort. And this is where the confidence comes from. Only you can do this. Only you can make this move. And when you own that you did it, that no one else did it, that you did it, that you showed up, that's called confidence. And the more you do that, the more you build. Yeah, for sure. It definitely improved mine when it comes towards anxiety and my ability to manage it. 
Well, and I want to say one more thing. Um, let's debunk the myth around personal development that we are supposed to um, dissolve and eradicate things that we experience in life. That if I'm really evolved, then I'll never feel anxious again. If I'm really evolved, then I never feel depressed again, right? That's such and, a bad mindset to get stuck in. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. It's because uh, I've done it for a very, very long time. And I even to this day, I still catch myself doing it sometimes where we strive for this idea of perfection. But <laughs> it's funny. One of the, the best example I can think of right now is actually my work with my rescue dog and my thought process around his anxiety, funny enough. And eventually I, I ended up applying this to myself and it's the same concept, but it's, I guess it's easier to understand when it's a, when it's a trainable dog. <laughs> but what I did with him is my focus with dealing with his skittishness and anxiety towards stuff, because he would have full on doggy panic attacks. So I took the mentality and the route of minimizing his recovery time and not ridding him of his anxiety because I didn't feel like it was possible. He's wow. an abused rescue dog. He's got issues. He's got stuff that is never going to be fixed. Nice. But if I can get him to the point where I drop something and he spooks because he always will and then immediately is able to come around and investigate, that's golden. I mean, mm -hmm. what more can you ask for? And so mm -hmm. now I'm trying to do something very similar with myself. Mm. Oh, I just love, I love that example. I love it. It captures the whole thing, you know, because for me, spiritual development, spiritual growth, emotional, mental, personal growth, all of it has to do with our ability to have space for ourselves, not judge ourselves and allow what is moving through us to pass and not to squash what is moving through us. So the more evolved we get, it doesn't mean we feel less. It just means we don't get stuck in what's moving through. We yeah, get to that's continue. A, that's a good way to put it. Okay, great. Thanks. That's awesome. So we don't get stuck in what's moving through. We get to continue with our life. We get to keep getting dressed and go, go to the party. We get to keep going and go to work. We get to continue our relationship. We get to keep living our beautiful life, right? And this is just what makes us wildly more present and wildly stronger, which by the way, are two really great qualities for life, presence and strength. Thanks for joining us as we walked through some sacred ground today. What an amazing offering from this young client. I am constantly blown away by the wisdom and resilience awakening in individuals around me. 
I hope you are feeling just as inspired and not so alone in your own journey. If you are struggling, tell someone. Ask for help. It's worth it. You are worth it. And now, if being a guest is something that calls to you, head over to oakleyogden.com. That's O-A-K-L-E-Y-O-G-D-E-N.com and click on podcast where you will fill out an interest form and we will take a look. And until next time, remember, yes, you can get through it. Whatever you are facing is the very thing that's there to show you your greatness.